This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Hey, Village Church. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Hey, Tim. Tim. Yes? Hey, Tim. Guess what? Hey, what? We have a new app. We have a great app. It's for the Village Church. Did you know that? I do. And how do people get that app? <laughs> well, did you download it? I did. Right, I good. downloaded it. <laughs> well, you can you can get the app by going to the App Store and you type in Village Church of Bartlett. Make sure it's a Bartlett. A Bartlett. Because there are like thousands of village churches apparently. Um, but if you go to the App Store, actually, there's not many that have an app. So mm-hmm. um, that app has everything you could ever want to know about the Village Church, Tim and I, etc. Um, but uh, on the first page, when you open it up at the bottom, it says Q&A podcast, submit, submit a question. question. Right How from cool there. is that? So you can just go there, submit a question, and uh, we thrive off your questions. They're we so do. awesome. So thanks for everybody for submitting those. Keep them coming. And uh, yeah, we yeah. appreciate that. And but, listeners, be sure to share this podcast or any of the other podcasts with some of your friends or family members. And third, go to the iTunes store and rate and review this. We would love to get five stars. Yep. We're at. How many? I think we're at 20 reviews-ish, and yeah, ish. Uh, we want to get to 30, so let's make it happen, people. All right, here's our question for today, Pastor Michael. Is the King James Bible a good translation? No. <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> at least so, that's our opinion. I just polarized, like... Two percent of our audience, but they're yeah, like, we, I'm done. Yeah, right? some of us, some people have just clicked us off. I know. So hear me out. And uh, is it a bad translation? That maybe that is the better question. Yes. Okay. Ah. Okay. <laughs> so, all right. Let's let's rewind. If you if you are just turning on this podcast, go, go back. back and listen to like the last two episodes, particularly the episode where we talk about textual criticism. Big mm-hmm. word, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, Textual criticism is the science. Like there are really, really smart people who have devoted their lives to studying all of these manuscripts of the Bible and figuring out what the original author penned in the original language on that piece of papyrus or whatever he wrote on or stone what he chiseled in it. It doesn't matter. But there's this whole science, right, where um, they have discerned, um, particularly the science has evolved in a great way over the last 100, 200 years where we have with 100% certainty the original author's actual words. Mm-hmm. And right. uh, and so, um, in fact, there are 40 places we said, I think, yesterday where we don't know if it's this word or that word, but we definitely have the original. We're just not sure which not one sure is which the original. Those but those 40 are. places are doctrinally inconsequential, so nobody should be concerned about that. But this science of textual criticism is a really cool science, really worth studying. Go Google it. And, um, and, and so... What we're going to do right now is I want to focus on um, the New Testament, again, just to, for the sake of illustration and how we do this. So right now, um, we would say there are three major um, New Testament Greek texts that people can make a translation off of. So if I'm a translator, I want to know, uh, I'm going to choose one of three Greek texts to make a translation from. That's right. Obviously, I want to choose the 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 text that is the most accurate. I want to choose the text that has the backing of textual critics. Okay, so um, let's start with the first of these three. And if you're going to understand the King James version, you have to understand the text that is being used that it is being translated from. Okay, mm-hmm. All right. Number one, it's called the Textus Receptus. Isn't that a cool word? The I Textus love that. Receptus. Love that. <laughs> 
And uh, this was a manuscript of the Bible that was compiled by a man named Erasmus in the 1500s AD. You'll probably never, ever like think of Erasmus again, but he's the guy <laughs> who put together what we now know as the Textus Receptus. Um, he took the honestly limited number of manuscripts that he had access to. He compiled them into what eventually became known as the TR, Texas Receptus. And this is the textual basis behind the King James Version and the New King James Version. Here's what I think our, our listeners need to understand about the Textus Receptus. It is not based on the thousands of manuscripts that we have found over the last 500 years. It is based on the manuscripts that were found up until the 1500s. Erasmus had incredible intentions. He really did a phenomenal job in a non-digital age, um, almost, I think it was a pre-printing press age, yes. to accumulate yes, um, the best of what they had at the time. Now, I want to be I want to be clear on the Texas Receptus, the King James, the New King James. Um, they had everything they needed for right doctrine, okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So some of the weird doctrines that emerged out of, we'll say, the Roman Catholic and Eastern Orthodox Church over the first, we'll say, 1,500 years of the church were not because they had bad translations. Um, it was because of other issues. Okay? Yes. So the King James Version is not going to fundamentally change the gospel or any major doctrines, nor will the King James Version or any version that is being translated off of the Textus Receptus. I just want to be clear. It is not the most accurate. By a long shot. But that doesn't mean it's unreliable for translations, but it is the best that they had at the time. Right. I mean, if I have better, I'm not going to choose the second best or no, third no, best. No, no, no. You, know? you so, want the best right. if you're going to translate. Right. So unlike the Textus Receptus, which was derived from, um, this may not make sense to everybody, but you just need to hear me, um, only one stream of texts. There was one family tradition of copies. So like um, there are different traditions or different um, places in the world where copies of copies were made, um, we'll say copying centers, if you will. Yes. And so the Textus Receptus was based off a Byzantine family. Basically, there's a, a, a whole lineage of Byzantine copies, and that is where they found almost all of the manuscripts that they were working off of. Mm-hmm. The, the modern, we'll say, um, Greek manuscripts um, are using uh, manuscripts from all over the world. Okay, It's not just one small family. So um, not only is it based on a, we'll say, um, the texts that aren't the best, it's on a narrow group of texts that are not the best. Mm-hmm. Okay, right. So number one, we have the Textus Receptus basis of the King James, New King James. Number two, it's called the majority text. Now, the majority text may sound like a really good thing. And I want to be very clear. The majority text, I do not believe, is a smart or wise approach. Um, and we'll explain why. The majority text, here's what it does. It takes all the manuscripts that are available today compares the differences, and here's the deal. It chooses the most likely correct reading based on which reading occurs the most. Most often. Yeah, right. So let me just give you an example here, okay? If it is um, the 15th century, and I have a thousand manuscripts that say Jesus is a great God, but I've got one manuscript from the first century that just says Jesus is God. Which one is more likely true? The one that has a thousand copies over 1500 years 
or the one that has one copy, but it is, we'll say, within a century of the yeah, original. It's the closest to the original. Right. I'm going to go with the closest to the original. But the yes. majority text method, here's their philosophy. Um, their philosophy is whatever has the most copies is the right copy, and that's the one we go with. And here's a little bit of their philosophy is um, if this is the Bible that was in the hands of the most people, God would not mislead the majority of people. That was their philosophy. Um, obviously, I think that's an errant philosophy because um, – Textual critics are going to go back and they're going to say, no, we can actually see that in the second century, um, it was translated Jesus is God. And in the eighth century, there was a monk in the Byzantine um, family that actually copied it and added a great God. And that copy, because it's in the Byzantine family, was copied a thousand times over 700 years. You know? and, and one of the things we want to make clear to the listeners is God, Jesus is a great God. So yeah. that even though that word great was added, it does not remove from the truth that Jesus is God. Right. And the textual critic's job is not even to discern the truthfulness of what's being said, but their job is to discern what was actually what written. What was actually there. In that what original, the original moment. author yeah. wanted to say. Right. So the majority text, it is an approach that um, heavily influenced the Textus Receptus. The Textus Receptus use a method that was based on, they would, Erasmus would choose whatever manuscript had the most amount of mm -hmm. copies. It was a majority text method. So there is this thing called the majority text that's sitting out there. But I want to be clear. There are no modern translations that base their translation off of the majority text um, they're either going to use the Textus Receptus, which is the King James, what it's built on, or number three, this is the one I like. It's called the eclectic text. <laughs> now, if you're just putting the words eclectic text versus majority text, majority text is like, sounds like the winner, right? Yes, it would sound like that. But it's not the winner by a long shot. And anybody who is really heavily vested into textual criticism um, does not will say have a high view of the Textus Receptus as compared to the eclectic text. Here's what the eclectic text does. The eclectic text, very simply, it's a method that involves considering external and internal evidences for determine what is most likely the original. So for example, the eclectic text is going to use science to look at how old is the paper. Mm -hmm. um, right. We know that different generations and different families of copying have different handwriting. They use different ink. They use different paper. They use different methods of copying. So you take all of these factors into consideration to date a manuscript. And we also know that there are certain families of manuscripts um, that are a little bit more accurate, certain families that are that are basically a little bit more meticulous than others. And so we know maybe um, that this manuscript might be from a family of, of, of um, copying that was more meticulous, okay? And we might see in the Byzantine family, it was less meticulous. And so we look at all these factors from paper to ink, to handwriting, yes. to dating, um, to context, to where it was found, to comparing it. And really it doesn't matter if there's a thousand copies of one version and one copy of another. Well. If the one that has one copy is closest to the original and um, has multiple other evidences supporting that this is actually likely the original, well, then I'm going to go with that one. Right. So the eclectic text basically says, what do we know is most closest to the original? And that's how they build the eclectic text. And so the New American Standard, the English Standard, the New International Version, all of these are translated off of the eclectic text. Right. 
because most modern translators understand that that text is more reliable than the Texas Receptus. Well, yeah, I mean, we know, I mean, scientifically as a fact, we know that the method that the Texas Receptus was built off of was not the most scientifically accurate, but it was the best for what they had at at the the time. time. But we're 500 years after that. The science on this is just incredible. And I want to go back to something I said in um, one of the last couple podcasts. When we hold an English translation of the Bible that is built off the eclectic text, we are holding one of the neatest cumulative projects of hundreds or thousands of years of science and archaeology that that has all come together from a textual criticism perspective and then from a translations perspective um, that is just incredible. So big picture. I love our English Bibles. It's yes, so absolutely. Cool. We can trust it. Oh my goodness. It, it is unbelievable. And I love reading multiple English Bibles to see how different committees um, translated different things to, to communicate the most accurate meaning. But whether you're reading the NIV, ESV or NAS or whatever, like they're pretty incredible. I, I just strongly encourage people stay away from the King James for studying. Um, if you really like that old English, fine, have at it. It's not going to lead you astray. And it's not more holy of a language. It's not more holy. I mean, thou art, blah, 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 you know, nobody talks like that. But, no one does. Um, except when some the, people pray, then they start saying vow. And I'm like, for real? Like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. So I'm not trying to judge, but I'm just like, I wonder if God's like, he said that, we should listen to him. Um, <laughs> Charles and Heston used yeah, that word. Yeah, true. Yeah, right. <laughs> and that is perfect. Okay. So, um, yeah. So just when you open up your English Bibles, appreciate this. It is so cool. And know that you have one of the greatest documents in your hand, attested 100% of the original uh, from the eclectic text that your documents have been translated from. It's, it's just there. It's cool. So enjoy That's that. That's right. And appreciate that and read it with confidence. Thanks for joining us today, listeners. Please come back next time when we answer the question, where did chapters and verses come from in the Bible?